Durant with 10 on the shot clock against Green at the top. Starts left, crosses right, pull up. 18-footer. Yes! Kevin Durant. It's been the fourth quarter show for Kevin Durant ever since game three of the first round. You know who I am. That's what he said. He's got 24. April showers brings May snow. That's what we look up to as we flip the calendar to May. Tanner Hoops with you in the sports pen on ESPN-UP. Big white fluffy flakes coming down. I'm joined by John Michael Hofling from ABC10. Both your teams winning last night. Sharks, Warriors, pretty good night in the Hofling household. Oh, yeah, I mean, Hofling apartment. But, yeah, very good night, and it's a reason to stay up at this point because, you know, I get home at midnight, so... Just turn it on, and I get to see the end of each of the games, and it feels good, man. Feels I good. get the feeling that my day starts a little earlier than yours does anyway. Yeah, that's sort of how it goes. You can stay up a little bit later <laughs> then. You, yeah, when you got a show at 11 p.m. and a 30-minute drive home, <laughs> you tend to go, to go to sleep a little late. Well, I tell you what, the big story coming into last night's Warriors-Rockets game was going to be the role of the officiating crew. And tell you what, that really wasn't the story. That isn't the outcome mm-hmm. that we got post-game. It was... You know, a six-point game, but that's not reflective of how dominant the Warriors were in that game. I mean, they really looked good. A 115-109 win over the Rockets to take a 2 nothing series lead. Yeah, it was a really good win. From what I saw, which, you know, doing the shows and whatnot, it seemed like the Rocket, It seemed like the Warriors were never really struggling to stay ahead of the Rockets. The Rockets would hang in there, but the Warriors were never really worried. I mean, for the last ten minutes of the game, Sean Livingston was in. <laughs> so... I mean, it's like I said, I'm never going to be too worried about the Warriors. The Warriors are still the best team in the NBA in terms of talent. So anytime they, you know, lose two games to the Clippers, I'm just like, eh, whatever. The James Harden thing, I'm sure we'll talk about that for a long time. And uh, if we want to talk about game one, I can go on for days about how <laughs> it shouldn't have been a foul. But It wasn't a foul at yeah, the end. I, I mean, he was not foul. I thought they could have called more of a foul uh, when Chris Paul tried to pass the ball away at the yeah, end. I think Scott Van Pelt had a very good analysis of it where he said, you can tell when James Harden is like, when somebody is purposely trying to draw contact rather than shoot a shot, it's... The intent of the of the shot is no longer to make a three pointer; it's to shoot three free throws. We prefer to just go ahead straight to the free throw line, get somebody on the other team in foul trouble, rather than you know take good shots and make and make what you have to. They're not looking to make the three pointer; they're looking to shoot three free throws. Specifically, Harden. I tell you what, if there's any doubt to the MVP race, I think it's gonna start to fade away. As we get through this round of the playoffs, I think Giannis is going to separate himself from Harden because MVPs are looking to make the big shot, not get fouled. Yeah, and if you take a look at the stats from this year, I mean, James Harden led the league with 95 fouls drawn from three-point land. Mm -hmm. Second closest was Terrence Ross with 34. (laughs) It it, it becomes crazy at a point. It gets to a point where you just go, Okay, there's no way this can be loud. And you know what? I'll give him credit for it. He's good at it. Right, yeah. Yeah, he's good at it. But how long can you go before it's, it becomes too out of hand? The, the rest of the league has to be able to see this, and yet in that 127-player anonymous poll, they still voted Harden as the MVP. Don't other players see this? And they you have that, I guess, yeah. that he's able to do it successfully, but we all know what he's doing. Perhaps it's perhaps the, I mean I can understand where the players are coming from. They're they're thinking maybe he's really good at it. He doesn't get caught, so he's found a loophole in the system. And like it's all like I mean for us real life people, right? We think if somebody finds a loophole in the system, they take advantage of it as long as they're not hurting other people. Like mm-hmm. good for them, right? Sometimes, most of the time. Mm-hmm. I mean that's how I feel. It's like, hey, you found a way to stick it to the man, right? And I think James Harden sort of found it like that, too, because I don't think many NBA players like refs, but Harden's found a way to make it work in his advantage, and I think that that's something that the players admire. Some of these uh, numbers that jump out at you from last night, and there are two that really stick out for me. The Rockets firstly committed 17 turnovers, and the Warriors grabbed 18 offensive rebounds. And I'll tell you, somebody who got a couple of those offensive rebounds was Steph Curry. Yes. Yeah. Here's the thing. Like I've spoken about Steph a little bit, but Steph is so incredibly valuable to the Warriors. He does everything. And yet he gets back for his defense sometimes. But I think his defense is a little bit underrated because he, he's a little flashy on defense. I mean, mm-hmm. He goes for the big play, the big steal and whatnot. More often than he probably should, unlike Clay Thompson, who's just more of a sound defender and everybody knows it. 
the fact that he does so and has people like Igadala, Livingston, Clay, Draymond behind him allows him to be able to do that sort of stuff and get and come away with with it because despite Steph's loose cannon attitude on defense, mm-hmm. it just goes to show that he has trust in his teammates, and I admire that. He dislocated his finger last night, too, and then came back in the game, had yeah. it taped. It's a finger. Oh, but he's a shooter. Yeah. Shooting's the biggest part of his game. He needs those fingers, yeah. albeit it was on his left hand. Dep- if he didn't come back, I still wouldn't have been worried. If he stayed out for game three and four, I would have been a little bit worried. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, he's Steph. He... And the Warriors are good enough without him as well. I don't think they're nearly as good without him, but they're still good enough to hold the Rockets off, maybe. So it was up to him, and he ultimately wanted to decide to come back, which means I don't think it was that bad to begin with. James Harden trying to play through what he calls blurry eyes. He got poked in the eyes a couple of times last night, and I get that. You know, he's treating it with eye drops. It can be tough to see, what have you. At the same point, though, this guy is full of excuses. I don't know what the severity of his eye injury is. I mean, I saw the pictures. It looks pretty bad. Well, I'm it sure it is, and that's the thing. Is just He still scored 29 points, and I, I don't want to diminish what he's done or diminish his injury, what he's going through. But at the same point, I just don't want to hear about what caused you to lose the game. Personally, if I were the Rockets, I mean, I'm losing that game handily. I mean... Not handily, it's still a single-digit game, but the Warriors have continually proven that they're not, like, falling behind. Mm -hmm. And you're playing catch-up the entire game. uh, James Harden goes down. I I leave him out and try to get him, like, prepped for Game Mm 3. Like, because you don't want something worse to happen, right? Right. So they were playing a dangerous game leaving Harden in for Game 2 because it was a game that you were most likely, you know, not going to win at some point with or without James Harden. So... You know, and people say a series doesn't start until a team takes a game on the road. So, it's not that, like, 2-0 sounds bad, but it's not unbeatable. With the Warriors, though, it might be. I uh, The Rockets need to win both in Houston. If this thing goes 3-1, it's over. Well, I mean, it don't, is. don't tell that to the Cavaliers. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, people, people could say that. But at the same time, the Rockets have been pretty good at home this year, and the Warriors have not been as great on the road this year. If you look at the points scored last night, Harden and Durant each had 29 to lead the way for their respective teams. Durant wasn't efficient. He was 9 of 22 from the field. But all five starters for Golden State scored 15 points or better. It was one of the more balanced games we've seen them play, not only in the postseason, but all year. They have their stars, and because the fact is that it doesn't matter as long as your star can play efficiently on that team. Giannis is the biggest star in the East this year, but last year, despite the Cavaliers being a fourth seed, LeBron was the biggest star, and because of that, he was able to make it through. Whereas the Boston Celtics were a better team, had more depth, were better at defense, better coached, but they didn't have that star, that go-to guy like LeBron, so LeBron was able to beat him in seven. So the, the thing about the Warriors is they have two stars, but only one of them can lead the way. Most of the time it's Kevin Durant because Steph is more of a facilitator now with Durant. I mean, if Durant leaves in this offseason, he'll become the scorer again. It's become Durant, so he'll usually lead the way in terms of points. He'll get the most shots usually. But if he has a bad day, other people can step up. So he didn't have his normal in the playoffs 35, 40-point performance. And because of that, other people like Clay, Draymond, and Livingston and Curry they were all able to step up and grab more than 15 points, and that just sort of shows what the Warriors can do. And yeah, their bench not, might not be as deep, but because their starting lineup is so efficient, it helps them out. Other game last night, the Bucks bounce back in a big way. They take down Boston 123-102. I still think these are the two top teams in the Eastern Conference, mm-hmm. and they're tied at a game apiece. But neither game has been a good one. I mean, mm-hmm. both games have been a rout. Uh, Milwaukee outscored Boston 39-18 in the third quarter. At one point, it was a five-point game midway through the third, and then Milwaukee was able to take advantage of a Boston dry spell, and they put it in cruise control, led by as many as 31 after that. I would still feel confident in either team to win this thing. Yeah, I think Boston has the best chance to knock off Milwaukee. I mean, I gave a Monday's Minute uh, last week, and I said that Boston would just matched up super well. With, with the Bucks. I mean, Boston was what seventh? They're seventh in three-point percentage uh, in the regular season. They were seventh in attempts. Milwaukee, who gives up the most uncontested three-pointers in the game. Mm-hmm. You have a team that's super good at, with defensive efficiency. Brad Stevens loves to run zone, and then you have a team in Milwaukee that falls way down the ranks in terms of offensive efficiency against the zone. But that being said, 
they, like, for game one, Celtics went, like, against the book and sort of went man-to-man for the most part, and Horford just played him beautifully. Yeah. The other guy, I mean, Jalen Brown was on for a little bit, but he didn't play him nearly as well as Horford. I've always underestimated Horford. Everyone seems to, but Boston's got guys that can play the post, and they all stretch the floor on the other end, too. So you've got Tice and Baines, and they can all knock it down from the outside, and they're all pretty good defenders, certainly Horford being the premier. Kyrie Irving, they're going to need a lot more from him. Last night, not a good night for him. Did not score until midway through the second quarter. Nine points on four of 18 shooting. That follows a double-double performance on Sunday. So they're going to have to have something more out of Kyrie, and he'll bounce back. I mean, this was a yeah. this was an odd game for yeah, him. Yeah, I think that's good news for, for Celtics fans, though. Mm-hmm. Because the fact that Kyrie wasn't able to score anything until midway through the second, only nine points, and for most of the game it was pretty close until that third quarter. And just because of a dry spell where nobody could hit anything on Boston's side, that's what pulled them away. So if you get rid of that dry spell, which maybe you'll have one more thing like that in the entirety of the series, right? If you get rid of that, and if you improve Kyrie's percentage by, say, 10%, 10 or 15%, that becomes a game that goes back and forth. I like Boston's chances. I'm still saying Milwaukee in six, but... I think Boston has a legitimate chance to take down the Bucks. You think they split in Boston, then Milwaukee wins five and six? Originally, I had Milwaukee winning the first two, then Boston winning the next two, then mm. Milwaukee winning the next two. I think that, but now, yeah, I'd probably say they split in Boston. The other thing that's encouraging from a Celtics perspective, Milwaukee set a franchise record knocking down 23s last night. They were 20 of 47. Boston played pretty good defense. They played essentially similar defense in the first Two games of the series, certainly we knew Giannis was due for a breakout. Horford wasn't going to keep him in check the whole time. But right now, Boston is playing defensively. They're at a point where you have to hit 23s to be able to beat them. And Milwaukee's just not going to do that. As good as yeah. they are from shooting the three, they're not going to do that for the length of this series. Yeah, and the fact that they re- that Boston plays a lot of zone defense, that's going to open up a lot more three-point attempts for Milwaukee. But because, you know... Usually, or for throughout most of the regular season, Boston was so good at defending the three-point. They were contesting shots. They weren't allowing a good percentage, weren't allowing an effective percentage, weren't allowing that extra pass. And Milwaukee was good at three-pointers, but nothing insane like, say, the Rockets or the Warriors when they're feeling it. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was another thing that was going to go in their favors. But, yeah, it took a 23-point performance to sort of handle the Celtics so it's just another thing yeah like you said that goes in Boston's favor and Boston is forcing teams to do that you know if you're gonna beat us you're gonna have to shoot insanely well from behind the arc I think that's encouraging for Boston because I don't think 23s a game is sustainable yeah and it's the same thing that happened with the Cavaliers last year where Giannis you have to force Giannis to beat you every single game and Mm -hmm. seeing as how he's probably the MVP this year I wouldn't say that's too unlikely so for so if you can force him to beat you every single game, but also limit the effectiveness of everybody else, uh, just minimally though, if you can just limit them minimally, it's going to work out really well. Tanner Hoops, John Michael Hoefling with you. We owe you our first time out. We preview Blazers at Nuggets next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Dugatti here, tune into the Sports Pen with Tanner Hoops. My man, what a great name for sports radio, Tanner Hoops. He's on weekdays at 4 o'clock on ESPN, UP, WZAM, Ishpeming, Marquette. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN, UP, and on the ESPN, UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen. Tanner Hoops, John Michael Hoefling with you on a snowy May 1st. Blazers and Nuggets as the NBA playoffs continue this evening. 9 o'clock tip. Denver leads the series one game to nothing. It was a one-on-one battle in a way in game one between Damian Lillard and Nikola Jokic. And Jokic had just a little more in the tank. And it was his playoff debut, and he was insane. The Joker had 37 points on 11 of 18 shooting and he was 12 of 12 at the foul line. They get that kind of Jokic for the rest of the series. There's no stopping Denver. I would, I would, I'd say it's Denver's series to lose. I mean, I like Lillard, but the fact that is Portland has not made it past the second round in many, many, many moons. Denver, despite going 70 at San Antonio, I think the fact that they have Jokic back, 
is going to sort of propel them. Good performance out of Lillard. And Enos Cantor coming back from injury. He got hurt in the Oklahoma series. He looked pretty good in game one, but they're going to need a lot more than just yeah. those two. I mean, Jokic versus Lillard. I would take Lillard, right? Mm-hmm. But every almost every other man down the list for Denver versus Portland, right? you'd rather take Denver's side, mm-hmm. just in my opinion. So it's going to take more than, more from just Lillard. Lillard has to outplay Jokic in every single series because the rest of his team is not going to play the rest of that Denver team. McCollum and Rodney Hood combined for 33 points in Game 1. I mean, that's fine, but yeah. Y- yeah. it's it's fine. It's well, just not going to beat a team like this. It's not even just – there's a great quote from Steve Curry where he's talking about Michael Jordan, and this re- like talks reflects on all teams and just sort of the NBA in general, where he says – there, there were times when Michael Jordan was taking shots, and he was hitting them, but we were losing. Because it just goes to show that even though a great player or a team can make shots and players can, you know, get 33 combined and whatnot and have their star do things, just because you're making shots doesn't mean you're necessarily having a good game. You need to control the clock at the same time while you make shots. You need to make sure it's the right shot, the most efficient shot, something where maybe you draw contact at the same time. So just because you're making shots, just because you're getting points, doesn't mean you're necessarily having a good game. And I think that showed with some of the Portland players last night because Denver was in control of that game. Mm -hmm. I tell you what, I'm thinking Harkless has a big game. Probably not a 20-point score, but 15? Yeah, I'll give him that. How is that going off? It's going off for Harkless. Yeah, okay, fair. (laughs) Uh, They're going to need something at least out of him. They're probably going to need 15 out of him. And then Al-Farouk Aminu, he's going to have to be able to be, I don't want to say lights out from behind the arc, but pretty close. Do you think Portland takes this one? No. No? No, I still think it's Denver. Do you think Portland takes any games in the series? Yeah, I think it'll be a good series. It'll go at least five. I'd like to say it'll go six. Okay. I think it can go six. I think Portland's length defensively. Wouldn't be surprised if Portland does bounce back and win it tonight. Uh, CeCe Sabathia joins an exclusive club. He becomes the 17th overall pitcher to reach 3,000 career strikeouts. And he's just the third left-hander to ever do it behind Steve Carlton and Randy Johnson. Is there really a debate over whether CeCe's a Hall of Famer? I think there is. Is there? Yeah, I mean, you can give somebody, you can, it's no doubt that it's incredible. I mean, I thought it was incredible before we got to 3,000 strikeouts, but since we like things that end in zero, 3,000, sure, now he's in the club. Just because you played for a really long time, does that mean you had a great career? I mean, to be consistently good throughout the entirety of your career, is that more effective than, because Bartolo Colon had a great career, did a lot of things, but was he necessarily great for the last third of his career? I think CC is better than Bartolo Colon. Yeah, no, 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 no. He, he is. But, yeah. uh, but just because, like Tim Lins- like let's look at Tim Lincecum. Tim mm-hmm. Lincecum, very short career, but didn't have the best. If we take Tim Lincecum's career, or if we take CC's career, shorten it down and compare it to somebody else, I think mm-hmm. the most likely comparison would be Tim Lincecum. Because Tim, Tim Lincecum, much shorter career, and then all of a sudden some switched and he wasn't nearly as good. And it's how much is that last third, that last little bit where he wasn't nearly as good, how much is that going to affect his Hall of Fame chances? And I think the fact that it's longer means it's going to affect him less, but it's still going to have a part to play. Is he a Hall of Famer? Yes. If I were a voter, I wouldn't put him first ballot, but maybe third or fourth. Okay. Here's the other question is, which cap is he going to wear once he gets into the Hall of Fame? Does he go with the Indians or with the Yankees? That'll be a tough one. I mean, he played for the Brewers for like five minutes. That's like... (laughs) It's like saying Granky's going to go in with a Brewer's hat or an Angel's hat. Um, <laughs> He's with the Diamond, but he pitched against Sabathia last night. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a whole different thing. <laughs> I was just thinking of him because he was also a Brewer for, for a hot sec. Yeah. Um, but Sabathia's time with Milwaukee, pretty impactful back in 08. Yeah, back in the day. I, I still I'd, don't think he'll be a Brewer in the Hall of Fame. No, absolutely not. Uh, I'd say it's most likely he goes in with the Yankees. I mean, he won the World Series with the Yankees. No. So... I mean, that tends to be your most incredible, like, for most people, it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. It tends to be the moment where you're like, all right, I, I, I am officially, like, in the zone or whatever. It's the greatest moment of your MLB career, and he's going to remember that forever. So I would say probably the Yankees. So we have a Hall of Fame debate with CeCe Sabathia. We probably have one in football after Sebastian Janikowski announced his retirement earlier this mm-hmm. week. I would say he's a Hall of Famer, is he not? Yeah, well, the thing about the NFL Hall of Fame, or any sports Hall of Fame other than baseball, in my opinion, 
is it's just not it's not taken as seriously, you know. Mm-hmm. Like it's not even the NBA Hall of Fame; it's the Basketball Hall of Fame, and people are saying that Jamal Crawford, a, a renowned sixth man, is going to make the Hall of Fame. Janikowski was good for a little bit, but he was no Vinatieri. He was no, I mean, Justin, he's not nearly as good as what Justin Tucker is. I'd say Matt Prater, Brandon McManus have all been better during their careers than what Janikowski was. But the fact is that, yeah, it's still going to be a debate, despite him never being the best kicker in the game. And he had a big leg. That was his whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. So he'll probably get some votes, but I would not. Just because I'm a, ba- I'm a baseball-bred mind, where I think somebody has to be the best of the best, undoubtedly, to make the Hall of Fame. He'll probably get some votes. He might even get in, but I don't think that he really deserves it. I think he does. When you think about kickers in the modern era, anyone who's accomplished more than him, Vinatieri is the only one that comes to mind. And not certainly, I, well, for me, like there are other players like David Akers. I think uh, did a lot. David Akers was incredible for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. You have other guys like. Uh, Nick Folk, who was good for a while and then sort of slowed down his, his, his this last. I put Janikowski above Folk. What about Joe Nedney? Do you remember Joe Nedney? I remember Nedney. Um, that's a tough one. He's up there, kind of like Mike Nugent, no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Justin Tucker's not there yet. He's on pace to be. I think he. How about, I think how about, he how about like be. Mike Vanderjack? It's a good one. Yeah. See, it's important we're having this debate. Uh, I mean, there becomes a time, like, because Janikowski was so different, because he had such a powerful leg, and they'd try from beyond the 50-yard line Mm -hmm. with him, and because he was so big-bodied, unlike most kickers you see nowadays, like, he's going to stick in your mind, but I don't think that that should cloud people's judgment when, oh, was he an absolute one of the best of the best kickers deserving of the Hall of Fame? Because... In order for a kicker to make the Hall of Fame, a kicker or punter, I feel like you have to be just spectacular for most of your career. And I don't think that Janikowski was good, but he was never the best of the best, I don't feel like. Does his lack of a Super Bowl ring do it for you? Does that factor into I mean, it him should, being in the Hall should, of Fame or it not? It should factor in, but in this day and age of football, you have this problem called Tom Brady, mm. <laughs> who's appearing in... You know every other Super Bowl nowadays, and I think it's going to start a whole thing where where this era of players, it's like, oh, they didn't have a Super Bowl, yeah, but he was in the AFC while Peyton Manning and Tom Brady were there, and they were consistently going at each other's throats the entire time. So if he was on one of the other fourteen teams throughout his entire career, then sorry, but that's just bad luck, and I don't think that should reflect too poor too poorly on them. He was taking a little over 100 picks before Tom Brady. Yeah. You think about that. Both of them had great careers. I credit Golick and Wingo for this. They mentioned on their show earlier this morning. The next two players picked after Sebastian Janikowski, Chad Pennington, pretty good career as quarterback for oh, the Jets. Length, lengthy career. Yeah, I mean, his shoulder surgeries, all in all, he was a pretty good quarterback. And two picks after Janikowski, Sean Alexander, who at one point mm. set the touchdown record mm-hmm. for Seattle. Mm-hmm. It shows you how much football's changed since 2000. The Raiders selected a kicker, Janikowski, in the second round. Fifth round, they took a punter, Shane Leckler. And both hey, those guys had good yeah, careers. Yeah, I'll tell you, they were, the, they were probably... And Leckler, I think, because I'm sort of about to go off my word, what I just said here, but Leckler was incredible for a long time. If you're going to put one of those two guys in the Hall of Fame, Shane Leckler, man. I mean, they were both great picks, but Oakland uses their second and their fifth round picks on a kicker and a punter. And if you tried to do that now, Dave Gelman wouldn't even do that now. No, and the Niners just selected a punter in the fourth round. He was like, what are you doing? People were more confused at the Giants taking a quarterback at six than... (laughs) <laughs> they were with a punter being taken. <laughs> uh, it just it couldn't happen anymore, it seems like. No. I mean, remember the Buccaneers a few years ago. It's about the closest thing we would have Roberto, to in the modern they, they day. Roberto, Roberto Aguayo Aguayo. took him in the second round, and he turned out to be a complete bust. Yeah, you know what's crazy is I was I was doing this thing. I was doing some research. It's You take a guy like Roberto Aguayo, everybody's like, gosh. And him and Josh Lambeau are the two that come to mind most frequently mm-hmm. with me, and maybe even Steven Hauschka. It's everybody's like, oh my, they're just terrible. They don't hit anything. Their percentages are astronomically higher than what we saw in the 90s and 2000s in terms of kicking percentages. Mm-hmm. But it's just because we have guys now like Vinatieri, Goskowski, Tucker, Robbie Gold, people like that. They've raised the bar. Yeah, who've raised the bar so tremendously. So yeah, they'd be good back in the day. But kicking has changed forever because people are just so much more efficient. I like doing this, thinking back of old kickers. Um, 
Daniel Carlson. Vikings, yeah. that was yeah. a tough scene. Was, Dan, Raiders Daniel Carlson is a lot better. Who, who was Laces Out? Um, Blair Walsh. Blair Walsh. I was going to say, wasn't that from a movie? Well, it was... Laces it? Out, Dan. What movie I, is that? I don't that? remember that movie. I just remember when he missed that field goal, hit the post against the Seahawks. Yep. The season can't end like this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was Laces Out. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that was Blair in the Walsh. playoffs, too. Yeah. Blair, you know what's crazy? I think he became a Seahawk later in his career. He did. Yeah. He did. So, guy who missed the most clutch kick of his life <laughs> would have ended the Seahawks dynasty early because the Seahawks went on to the Super Bowl that year. Mm-hmm. How 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 the fans feel about that? Yeah, probably. I don't know. What this guy do to make us think? Oh, this is gonna be the right idea. Well, I mean, so it was a string of kickers. I mean, Stephen Hauschka, Blair Walsh, and then Janikowski for a little bit. So mm-hmm. it was a good little string uh, string there because I liked Hauschka, except for Blair Walsh. Uh, Blair Walsh was still good, just wasn't clutch. Mm, if it was, a, if I don't it, know about that. He, he was he was pretty good, like in the first, second, and third quarter. But if it was, if it was a game winner, that that's tough. And I guess. You could say that that's when you need a kicker most. I feel like his best years were early on with the Vikings, and then once he missed that kick against the Seahawks, that's where it went downhill for him. The ghost of playoff kicks passed. Uh, Stephen Hauschka with the Seahawks, so that was he was a pretty good kicker. Back yeah, then. and then he went to the Bills, and now he's atrocious. But <laughs> yeah, Andrew Hoops, John Michael Hoffling with you. We owe you another timeout. When we come back, we break down the Stanley Cup playoffs next in the Sports Pen on ESPN UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops, John Michael Hoefling with you. Here is your Sports Center update. Iker Casillas, goaltender for the Spanish national soccer team, suffered a heart attack this morning while training with the professional club Porto. Casillas was hospitalized and is in stable condition, according to ESPN. Oakland Raiders running back Isaiah Crowell tore his Achilles during a team workout yesterday. He will require season-ending surgery. That's tough for a team that just lost Marshawn Lynch as well. And finally, last week, a Michigan man. We don't even have to leave the state for our end, finally. A Michigan man lost $30,000 on a highway near his hometown in Grand Haven. He was carrying the money in a cardboard box, which he forgot that he placed on his bumper before driving off. The box fell off the bumper and the money spilled out onto the highway. Other drivers pulled over and collected as much of it as they could. Police have recovered about $7,000. They are asking with the public's help to collect the remainder. $30,000 in a cardboard box that you forget in your bumper. Yeah, you don't forget that. I get, I get hiding it in a cardboard box. You're like, hey, it's inconspicuous. No one's going to think $30,000 is in there. What about a bank? <laughs> My <laughs> hey, gosh. Hey, you know what? You know, some people are just against banks. You know, they just sort of feel, you know, can't be trusted. So I get that. Can't lose it. Oh, you man. Can't, you can't leave it on your bumper. No. Can't forget That's like leaving a, your kid on your bumper. There's a cardboard box. Well, I don't know about that. Okay, yeah, not, not quite <laughs> like that. Uh, man, but uh, we didn't even have to leave Michigan for that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if you do find that money, I mean, you're supposed to return it. I mean, I give credit to the people that did because, you know, they got about $7,000 worth of it back. Yeah. But still, jeez. Tough and, and it makes me think, you know, how much of it is lost and how much of it is people just saying, like, hey, uh, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I, I can just imagine it. The money flies off the bumper, it, almost like a pileup scene. Drivers are just pulling over and collecting the money that's billowing down the highway. It's kind of funny to think about, yeah, but not yeah. if you're that guy. <laughs> Tell you what, uh, we switch over to the Stanley Cup playoffs. Last night, Columbus took down Boston 2-1. to one. Columbus now leads the series two games to one. Boone Jenner and Matt Duchesne each score for Columbus. Jacob DeBrusque had the Boston goal. I like playoff Sergei Bobrovsky. So much different than regular season Bobrovsky. But playoff Bob, 36 saves last night. He was fantastic. He has been this whole postseason. Jackets really have a shot at moving on to the Eastern Conference Final. Who would have thought? If you're going to beat the Bruins, I mean, if you're going to beat anybody with the Blue Jackets roster, which, you know, it's talented, but it's not of anybody. Like, how many players could most people name on the Blue Jackets? Let's see. uh, Duchesne and Jenner, Bobrovsky, Seth Jones. Um, I know that Torts is their coach, if that counts. Uh, Sure, sure. Let's see. They don't have Matt Calvert anymore. He's with Colorado. Uh, Panarin. That's five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot Panarin was on. Yeah, shoot. Uh, I haven't seen Columbus here in a little bit. It's been a while since they played Pittsburgh. I don't remember 
as many as I should. Yeah, it, it's just one of those teams where you know you don't know too many. They don't have the they don't have the star power. They they don't really have a solid team all around. So you're going to need incredible goaltending. Bobrovsky is probably the best goaltender in the in the playoffs right now. He's up there. Yeah, he's up there. It'd be fun to rank who's left. Uh, maybe we'll do that for his segment. Tell you what though, they are playing a physical style of hockey. And like you said, they may not have the most talented. Boston probably has a more talented roster up and mm-hmm. down. Columbus is top-heavy, and I'm not sure that their top is better than Boston's top. It's not. If, from every single point, the first line, second line, third line, fourth line, power play, penalty kill, defense, every spot, Boston has the advantage, except goaltender. I think uh, Tuka Rask isn't as good as Bobrovsky. No. At least not right now, he's yeah, not. Yeah, not right now. And is it better to be good or is it better to be hot going into the playoffs? Usually it's the hot team that yeah. that does it, not necessarily the better team. I mean, wouldn't you rather have Marchand and Bergeron rather than Panarin and Duchesne? Yeah. Yeah. Duchesne's past his prime, I feel like. He's still got some left in the tank, though. Got, I like he, Duchesne. He's still got some, but yeah. But yeah, he's not like... He's no Bergeron. No, no. But I tell you what, Columbus might be making up for it in their physicality. They out-hit Boston 54-30 to last night. They're playing a physical style of hockey. It seems mm-hmm. to be working. Yeah, well, you know, don't, don't forget the cheap shots that Marchand got in after, <laughs> after the buzzer. That probably evened it out a little bit. Marchand is one of those guys that you like if he's on your team and you hate yeah, yet if I, you have to play. I have a couple friends who are Bruins fans, mm. and they love Marshawn. Oh, I'm sure every, they do. Every time I look at NHL Twitter, it's just it's just other people who aren't Bruins fans saying, Marshawn is trash. He's a trash person. He's not actually trash at hockey. He's really good, but yeah. I tell you what, uh, Columbus may be the most hot team in hockey, right? You said that the better team doesn't always win. Sometimes the hotter one. Mm-hmm. And since that's March... How you, that's how you get that 2006 NHL final. No, 2008 NHL finals where it was the Oilers and the Hurricanes. I think that was 06. I think you're right. 06? I, I think it... Because I think Penguins and uh, Red Wings. Yeah. I, I think Penguins Red Wings was 08 and 09, right? I think both of them, yeah. And yeah, they yeah. Split. Okay, yeah. Ended up getting there. Mm-hmm. Maybe not necessarily the best one. And Columbus is as hot as anybody right now. Since March 24th, they've won 13 of their last 15 games. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah, and it's, I mean, I mean, but then again, you have a team like, uh, what's it, like Tampa Bay, mm-hmm. who, if you took their entire season and, were, and condensed it down to five games, you'd be like, geez, they've won four or five, they've outscored them by... 20, they'd be the hottest team in the league, too. Yeah, but they coasted for the last month or so, and that's why they were probably why they exited early. Yeah, but swept. It's still mind-baffling, that series, either way. And Columbus was coming in hot. They were still playing for something. They didn't have anything locked up until about game 81. They were playing with a fire underneath them, really, Mm -hmm. since March 24th when they've gone on this streak. But I tell you what, they are in uncharted territory this Thursday, when they play Game 4, it will be the first time in franchise history Columbus plays a game in the month of May. How about that? Dang. Yeah. It's uncharted territory for them. That game will be in Columbus, too. So, fun celebration for the I, fans. You know what? You know what? I'm, I'm, getting, on the, I'm getting on the Columbus train. Are you? Hey, the Sharks are still alive. If any team is going to the, win the Cup other than the Sharks, give me Columbus. <laughs> They've been through a lot. You know, as a Sharks fan... We've been through a lot, so I can understand if another team is, has been through a lot, been through a lot of downs, haven't had many ups. You know, give it to them. They, they, they deserve it after all they've been through. How about a Jacket Sharks final? I'd still, still go with the Sharks. I mean, We'd I'm, be guaranteed yeah. a new winner, a first-time yeah. cup winner. And you know what's crazy is I guarantee most people, or most casual NHL fans, including myself, I wouldn't say I'm a hardcore fan, I still take a guy like Rick Nash, a guy who was on the Blue Jackets, mm. and I sort, of, I sort of go, oh, the Blue Jackets – will forever be like Rick Nash's team because he was their first superstar and whatever. If they win a cup, if they win a cup now without that superstar level player like Rick Nash, it just goes to show that they are like on their way past what they were, past their past grievances and everything that they were because they were the laughing stock for a while, but they would move past that. Well, I tell you what, the Sharks picked up a 4-2 win over Colorado last night. They take a 2-1 series lead. Logan Couture was the man as he records his first career playoff hat trick. And you know what's crazy? I still think there was more in the tank for the Sharks. Probably was. Yeah. This Probably was, the, was. This was the first game of the series that, the, that I thought the Sharks actually outplayed the Avalanche. Mm. They could have done better. 
I know people up here still love Gustav Nyquist. He became a father earlier this week, just a couple of days ago. He was in Detroit seeing his new baby daughter, and he flew back for the game just a couple of hours before puck drop and then had two assists on the night. So it's been a pretty good week for the Nyquist family. Yeah. What did he name his kid? Does anybody know? I haven't heard. I'm sure yeah, I'm sure it's public knowledge. I haven't heard, though. Something shark-related. <laughs> I hope so. Finn. <laughs> his name's Finn. No, it's a daughter. Oh, He's got a daughter. Na- Otherwise, Finn would have been perfect. Her name's Mako. I don't know. Mako. Yeah. That works. Yeah. Tell you who else has been really good for the Sharks lately, may not be getting the credit he deserves, is Timo Meyer. Yeah. Timo Meyer is a guy who just makes stuff happen. He scored his third playoff goal last night. He's now got 33 for the year, including regular season. He's quietly been a force for San Jose. Yeah, and that's one of the things with the Sharks is, well, this is something I always look at when I'm trying to predict the NHL playoffs. It's how many 20, 25 goal, how many 20, 25, 30 goal scores does each team have? Mm -hmm. The ability to share the puck and not rely on one sole player to have a hot night shooting the puck. That's one thing that I thought was always the Capitals' downfall is, oh, it's always Ovechkin. It's always Ovechkin or Backstrom. Maybe John Carlson will jump in there, but he's a D-man, so not really. But I like the sh- his shot, though. Yeah, I do yeah. want to say that. But the Sharks, five or six, 20 goal scorers this year. And then aside from that, I mean, Joe Thornton had 17 this year. Mm-hmm. So it's just that ability to not rely on one sole scorer. And that's what the Sharks do so well. It showed last night because they're still without Joe Pavelski, one of their top goal scorers, their captain. He was hurt in Game 7, and really that injury is what kept San Jose's season alive. But he did not travel with the team. He will be out for Game 4, presumably, and uh, we'll see beyond that. And certainly they miss him. He's the captain. He's a big part of that team. He's Captain America. They're showing their depth, their ability to distribute the puck and share the wealth. I don't want to say they have to because of how balanced they looked last night, but to make a cup run, they probably do need Joe Paw on the ice. Yeah, and it wouldn't feel right if the Sharks yeah. made it to the cup finals without Joe Pavelski. It just wouldn't feel right. And if they do make it to the cup finals, Joe and he can't play, Joe Paw needs to be there at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Has to be. Yeah, you know you know what I will say? If the yep. Sharks win the cup this year and then Joe Thorne announces his retirement, <laughs> I'm going to call... It's just getting out of hand with all these winnings and then retirements. Mm-hmm. Think about the... Uh, have I talked about this before on the show? I don't think so. But I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, what was it? Peyton Manning wins the Super Bowl, announces a retirement. Michael Strahan. Michael Strahan, Ray Lewis, mm-hmm. Rob Gronkowski. Go out on top. Yeah. Well, you want to go out on top, but it's like... It, it's it's getting a little suspicious. Suspicious? Have, I'm saying it's suspicious. How so? It's getting to the point where I'm like, okay... As soon as Tom Brady announces this is his last season, I'm putting $50,000 on the Patriots winning the Super Bowl that year. Just how it seems to be going nowadays. I, are you sure he's not going to retire after the game, though? Yeah, I don't... Okay, with a guy like Tom Brady, he'll probably announce it after because mm-hmm. he doesn't want the media circus. Mm-hmm. But for a guy like probably... For maybe Bill Belichick, he'd probably announce it at the okay. beginning of the season. If LeBron James announced it was going to be his finals, because ba- that seems to be a basketball thing where they can kind of send you mm-hmm. off that way, like Dwayne Wade did that. Yeah. Dirk really didn't announce it until well, the end of the year, but yeah. everyone knew. The NBA is the one of the four sports where I'm sort of like, okay, this isn't the case with the NBA because the NBA is so skill driven rather than luck driven. It's mm-hmm. like every sport is more skill driven than luck driven, but the NBA is so much extra in that regard because you can't have one weak spot on your team if you want the chance to win the NBA Finals. So that's why a guy like Dwayne Wade, where despite being so great for so long and uh, despite being so great for so long and announcing his retirement, he's not even in the playoffs. Well, I tell you what, uh, we owe you a timeout. We were going to break down the Stanley Cup games tonight, but we had a lot to analyze from last night's game, so we'll save that for the next segment. Do want to wish a happy birthday, though. Happy 20th birthday, to the TV show SpongeBob SquarePants. Oh. First aired on this date, May 1st, 1999. Dang. Doesn't that make you feel old? That's heartfelt. Man. Makes me feel old. That's heartfelt. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. What was their first episode? It was the one, I think it was the one. The Help Wanted one? Where he feeds all yeah. the anchovies? Yep. Yep. Good episode. Yeah, he gets that turbo spatula, something like that. Yeah. It's a classic. You haven't seen the newer episodes. 
Yeah, I haven't seen the new episodes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll take our last time out. We look forward to tonight's NHL Stanley Cup games next in the Sports Fan on ESPN UP. Dugatsi here, tune into the Sports Fan with Tanner Hoops. My man, what a great name for sports radio, Tanner Hoops. He's on weekdays at 4 o'clock on ESPN UP WZAM Ishpeming Marquette. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops, John Michael Hoefling with you. Glad that you're with us. Couple of games on tap for the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs this evening. The Islanders and Hurricanes play at 7. It feels like about as big of a must win as you can ask for for the Islanders. They trail Carolina two games to nothing. They are in Raleigh for 3 and 4. It's never necessarily a must win in pro sports, but this is about as close as it gets for the Islanders. Yeah, and I think that the first round was sort of their poison was the Islanders. They wanted to prove that they could still make it past the first round without John Tavares. I mean, they made it farther than John Tavares did right. himself. And that was the whole thing with New York. It was, oh, they're going to fall without their star player. Imagine if they still had him. Yeah, but the fact that they don't was sort of the fire under them. They were like, hey, see? See what we did? We're good. doing it with Cal Clutterbuck! Yeah, now everybody knows we're good. And then, so now at that point where, every, where everybody sort of accepted them as a legitimate threat, they're like, all right, we can sort of kick back. We set out what we wanted to. And they Jordan sort of, Eberle, yeah, and I think Brock they, Nelson. Yep, and I think they sort of forgot that they're there to win a cup at the same time. They're doing this with Robin Leonard and Nett. When's the last time Robin Leonard's been relevant? I don't know. It's been a long time. I forgot he's been in the league for some time now. He's been in the league a long time now. I tell you what, both teams come in really banged up, dealing with injuries, including Peter Morazic, the goaltender for Carolina. Tell you what, though, they might have a diamond in the rough with Curtis McElhaney. Came in in relief of Morazic in Game 2, stopped all 17 shots he faced. I tell you, I've never been that high on Morazic. I'm not, I'm not worried. I think that Carolina has the two best goaltenders in the playoffs left. You think Morazic? Yeah. I think really? just with how he's been this year. Like, I wouldn't say, okay. oh, come, in, in, in an entire career, no. Yeah, but he's, just, Red Wings fans remember him yeah. pretty well. But just this season, he's been spectacular. He's been pretty good this season. I'll yeah. give him that. But McElhaney, I tell you what, I think he's something special. He's been a journeyman, and he's finally getting his chance. You know, uh, don't say that I told you, but if the Sharks went after him, uh, McElhaney, mm. uh, in this offseason, I wouldn't be too upset. Would you? He, he's... At the end of his career, though. Well, the thing is... Here's, well, that, here's the thing. The Sharks are sort of at the end of theirs, too. At the end of their... I mean, they're about to lose so many people. No. I mean, Joe Thornton's toward the end of his career. Joe Pavelski's running out of prime. Same with Logan Couture. Eric Carlson. This is his only year on the, on the contract. They need to extend him. Brent mm-hmm. Burns is getting older. So... New regime coming up. There needs to be something. The Sharks need to do something, so... I tell you what. Here's your stat of the day. They are expecting Curtis McElhaney to start in net tonight for Carolina for the injured Peter Morazic. If and when he does, he will officially become the oldest goaltender to start an NHL playoff game. He turns 36 in three weeks. Really? How about that? How about Martin Brodeur, really? Yep. Dang. Older than Martin Brodeur. Actually, the record came uh, back in 1970. I don't remember the guy's name, but he played for Pittsburgh. I should remember, but I don't. I can barely remember most of the San Jose. Actually, I could probably name every San Jose goaltender. Yeah, well, Pittsburgh's been around since the 60s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't been around they've, since the 60s. They've been around a little longer than the Sharks. The I'm Sharks. kind of surprised Pittsburgh was playing playoff hockey in 1970. They were only like three years old back then, and they weren't good early on. Yeah, when did, when did Lemieux get to the team? 80s? Late 80s, yeah. played through the 90s. And the that was like the golden age, but so yeah, I had, I'm surprised that they were like first became a team because I know it took the Sharks like four or five years. Their opponent in that game, I do remember. I don't remember the actual record setter's name. I just remember they were playing the Oakland Golden Seals because I ah. love that mascot, that yes. uniform combination. And I don't remember the. I don't remember. You know, I remember the team, but I don't remember the. I'm from there. Yeah, and I don't remember what they looked like or anything. Good logo. Not as good as the Hartford Whalers. I don't think anything ever will be. Oh, I think the Minnesota North Stars had an incredible logo. Yeah, the Golden Seals became the North Stars. They were the Cleveland Barons after that. Full circle. Full circle. They had some good logos back in the day. Back in the day. Didn't they? I mean, the the Nordiques, I thought Uh, was a cool logo. You know know what my favorite NHL logo of all time is probably? Mm. The Buffalo Sabres one where it's just a Buffalo. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
the old one. Yeah, and back the, when they were black and red. Yeah, that was that mm-hmm. was ooh, that was sweet. Worst one's probably the horse for the Calgary Flames back yeah. when they had the horse on there. That was weird. I kind of miss the Atlanta Thrashers in a way. Like their logo. Do you miss the team fine. or do you miss the logo? I miss the team more than the logo. Atlanta's a cool city. I wish hockey did better there. Mm-hmm. Old Ducks logo. Mm, that's another. Great that was a one. good one. Yeah, they've got they've got some good hockey logos. I yeah. tell you what, I like a lot of those throwbacks. Uh, Blues and Stars, the other game tonight. That game will drop the puck at nine thirty. St. Louis leads the series two games to one. Tell you what, the Blues have been road warriors, and this is why they have a real shot. Craig Berube and the Blues at getting to the Stanley Cup final. They are four and zero in road games during these playoffs. Yeah, they were the hottest team coming into this in the Western Conference. Mm-hmm. So. Like we said, they're probably going to make it to the cup finals. I don't want to say it, but they probably will. Man, when they had Jake Allen starting before mm-hmm. Jordan Bennington and then Mike Yo before Craig Berube as head coach, this team looked dead in the water yep. in November. They were just they were one of the worst teams in hockey, and now look at them. They needed a spark, and they got it. They got it. Jordan Bennington, he's, he was drafted like 2011, but he's still a candidate for Rookie of the Year technically. He made his debut in 2016, but... Didn't play enough games to qualify as a yeah. rookie. How old was Panarin when he won the oh, he won that year? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question, too. Yeah, that, that, that'd be something to look into. It's like baseball. A few years ago when the Twins were, they had a really bad year. They lost 103 games in 2016. They brought up a few prospects. Byron Buxton was one of them. And Buxton was one at-bat short of qualifying as a rookie in 2016. So his official rookie year was 2017. My thing with baseball, if you're going to do that... Why not count plate appearances instead of at-bats for rookie status? Makes sense. Yeah. That, I, that's I, what I didn't they, get. That's the thing. That's another thing. You, they don't reward walks. You don't reward walks. <laughs> walks need to be looked at much better in baseball. Hit by pitch. Yeah. Yeah. Anything. Sacrifice fly. There you go. Sacrifice yeah. fly, sack bunt, any of the above. Now, I tell you what, despite the Blues being undefeated on the road this season, as they'll be tonight... Dallas is the favorite to win, according to Vegas. Dallas is expected to tie the series 2-2. Is Vegas right in thinking that? Probably. Think so? Yeah, I think most series in the NHL go 2-2 eventually. Yeah. Most series in the NHL are pretty tight all the way through. And mm-hmm. I like that. It just it says something about the parity. Is you never know who's going to win. Nobody thought any of these teams would advance to the second round. <laughs> Best sport that... I, I'm not saying that people don't watch, but... If I could have, if there was one sport that I wish more people watched in the U.S., it's hockey because hockey mm-hmm. is so good. It is, yeah, it really is. And you get some of that up in this part of the country, but certainly it's the fourth out of the four major sports. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But I tell you what, the ratings are at a 25-year high in the postseason, and you look at some of the media markets. I mean, I talked about it on the show a little yesterday. We don't have the Pittsburgh, D.C., uh, the Bronx, New York, Buffalo. But you've still got Boston, you've still got St. Louis, Dallas. The smallest of the remaining markets is probably Raleigh. I know people that were never hockey fans. I understand why people like it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it is. Maybe, it's the, maybe it has something to do with the fact that you always see the Patriots win. You always see the, uh, you always see the Red Sox win. You always see the Warriors win. And it's refreshing to see something where you don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's what made Game of Thrones so good. You don't know what's going to happen. And then these past couple of seasons have happened, and it's sort of ruined my temperament toward it. That's another whole thing. So you're not a Game of Thrones fan anymore. I'm, I'm still a fan. I'm still a fan. But it's gotten remarkably worse since season five. I haven't ever seen an episode, so I don't care about spoilers or anything like that. I didn't watch Sunday night, but the biggest complaint everyone seems to have about that episode is the lack of brightness. Like, yeah, it was really dark. Yeah, like you could have swords and... There, there was a, like a there was like a ten minute shot... Not, not ten minute. There was like a ten second shot mm-hmm. where it was supposed to be, oh, super ominous, you don't know what's out there. But you hear sounds and you hear something coming. And for the whole 10 seconds, it's just black. And mm-hmm. I thought, okay, they just shot a wall and put it on our TV screen with slight lighting to show some sort of zoom. And that's it. That's it's like a, you know what's going on, but you hate making the extra effort to be able to see. Like yeah, you got to squint well, I'm, really hard. I'm not even worried about that. Just the, the storytelling in that episode. Either way, that, that's aside from the point. It's, it's the whole sort of – it's the same thing where it's, we've seen the same thing for so long now. It's ref- uh, in the other three sports, it's refreshing to see something that's not expected. Tyler Sagan said that they were in a similar spot last series when they played Nashville, 
and that they feel confident going into this, but you know they know they're going to be down 3-1 if they lose. They have to go to St. Louis for games five and then potentially mm-hmm. seven. But he said they were in a similar spot with Nashville, and he feels confident based on that experience. Yeah, I mean and he should. And yeah, I mean you never want to doubt a team that's you know done it before. So I think it'd be really bad if they went down three one. I mm-hmm. mean, usually only one team a year comes back three from three one, and we've already seen that team do it. Mm-hmm. R.I.P. Vegas. But I wouldn't put the I wouldn't put it against the Stars. Not the way the Blues are playing, especially in the road. So mm-hmm. let alone they get two home games that you have to win to keep your season alive. I think that'd be a pretty good bet. Yeah, betting on the betting on the Blues in this one. You think so? Yeah, yeah. I think that they're I, in a pretty I, good I spot. Mean, right? I, I've, I've I've gambled on a couple. Oh really? Yeah, I've done some gambling. Oh, okay. The bad, but you know, back before I was a professional. Yeah, I would back never, in the I, day. I would never do it now. And of course, only where gambling was legal. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That that is also very true. But yeah, I mean, it, this seems like a, it seems like it would be a very smart bet to go with St. Louis on the road, like you're saying. I tell you what, though, uh, I don't want to get too off subject again. But did you see what the Game of Thrones director said? Is that it wasn't the way the episode was shot Sunday? It was the viewers' scream rather than the there's way they. There's so many. There's so many things they say that just make me so upset. Now. Like, did everyone in the country have the same problem? Because apparently, this is a nationwide. Yeah, day. it was a nationwide. It was thing. too dark. No one okay. could see what was happening. Yeah, it was dark. Nobody knew what was going on. I thought it the whole time, but I was like, okay. I mean, it's happening during nighttime. The episode is literally called "The Long Night," so it makes sense if it's dark. But that's not even my biggest problem with it. Like, literally, somebody does something that's super incredible, whatever. But it's somebody that nobody expected. Which I get is, like, supposed to be in the spirit of Game of Thrones. Because Game of Thrones is always, like, unexpected. But other characters to do this great deed for so long, it feels wasted now. It feels like we, we spent so much time with those other characters for no reason now. Because this character, who's had already in an, a number of incredible kills, has to get every single one on the show, apparently. Game of Thrones is not as good as it used to be. Is Daenerys a hero or villain? Is you know that how that? you say that? Daenerys, yeah. Daenerys. Da- you were close. You were, okay, you were close. Yeah. You know, that's up for debate. Oh. Uh, you know, okay. uh, she's a hero. Right now, mm-hmm. but uh, my personal opinion is I think she's going to turn evil by the end of the show. Yeah. I tell you what, we are out of time. As always, appreciate you tuning in. Appreciate you being here, my man, as oh, always. Yeah, thank you for having me. Anything you want to plug? Uh, not this week, actually. You know, it's been, it's been tough trying to get people on for Thursday throwdowns because everybody's so busy nowadays. And also, it's snowing outside, so <laughs> it's hard to do stuff outside when it's snowing. But You don't yeah. have to go film baseball or something in this weather, do you? Yeah, no, no, no. Don't have to go film baseball. Uh, it, I, you know what? I'd like to, though, because it's been so long. It's been so long, and it was, it's getting so short because there was so much snow in the winter that I'm not getting able to film anything now. I stay mm. inside most days. We've got to find a way to get rid of the snow. Because I'm yeah. tired of this. I'm tired of our meteorologist saying there's snow. Come on, he's got to control the weather. <laughs> Tanner Hoops, John Michael Hoefling with you. That's it for us on the Sports Pen. Take it away, Will Kane on ESPN-UP.